and welcome to the Palatially Musical Podcast and YouTube Review. It is beer, metal, swearing, and some vinyl. I, of course, am Nick Cameron of the Glacially Musical, and I am joined by a man whose journalistic empire in the worlds of heavy metal continues expanding and protecting the world, Coral Reefy Chakas. How are we doing today, buddy? Goodness gracious, what a what a buildup. I'm never going to be able to live up to that shit. I mean, <laughs> disappointing the listeners for the next hour plus. Well, let's see how long we can uh, we can go on about this one. I'm going to go ahead and beer check because I'm going to be quiet for a little bit because I don't have a vinyl check this week. We recorded on We recorded on Saturday and uh, yeah, it's only been four days. So I haven't even had a chance to, uh, I did go to a record store and, you know, when I said you're always going to make your best choices when you got to use a credit card, if you're me, made my best choices that day. But my beer this week is Upslope Craft Lager. It is absolutely delicious. Been drinking so many of my favorite IPAs. Every time I forget my glass. God damn it. I finally I have drinking glasses. So many delicious and over hoppy IPAs over the past couple of years. That How's I that? am trying to force myself into uh, not drinking them so much. Especially when it's the day after an overtime blues uh, playoff game. We'll so, talk. We'll talk hockey in a second. That is gorgeous. What an amber! Yes, it is a delightful. It's an American style lager, but it's got a good malt flavor to it rather than nothing. And it is bright, fresh, and easy. Four point eight percent ABV. It is handcrafted, aluminum can, portable, recyclable, and good. So it says. Nice. And something for rivers. I don't have my glasses on. I can't read those little bitty letters. I've been fucking up and not wearing my glasses enough lately. And just like, I wonder, I'm not sleeping too much. I'm screen timing too much. And then I realized, like, I'm like, where are my glasses? Why don't I have them on? I need them specifically for computer reading. Anyway. I can't get mine to work right for a computer. But I'll shut up now. Yeah, no, it's fine. You're good. Um... Let's see. Again, don't have my glass for like the third time in a row since I bought some beer glasses to drink out of. But I have a really cool beer I have never had before. This is Altamont Brewworks Dank Row IPA. Yes, that is the Death Row logo, Portamanto, or you know, tribute to Death Row Records. And it's basically that- the guy in the electric chair. I don't know if folks can see this at home. He has a hop uh- for a face. There we go. Is that one of those uh, one of those hemp beers I've heard so much about that all the kids are drinking? I don't know. Uh, it's a good brewery out here, and uh, this is the IPA, which you know we're a fan of. There is, you know, uh, for some reason there are pot leaves in the artwork also, and there's definitely a thing on here that says there's no THC or CBD. So please don't get confused and think this is some kind probably of is beer. a hemp. There was a big thing in uh, in the beer world about ten years ago when I was a beer writer, actually. And for using malted hemp, okay, instead of malted barley. This is frankly, it didn't make that much of a difference, right? This is uh, brewed and canned in Livermore, California, and again, it's the sticky, icky, crushable IPA uh, with hop flavor and flavor. aroma. Hop flavor—that's kind of concerning. And, a little uh, concerning, yeah, 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 a little concerning. Now I know that rappers have a lot of wine. Snoop Dogg has a wine. 
Uh, E40, who has got a food empire up here in the Bay Area in Oakland, has gelato and gelato. 40 ounces and four loco style energy drinks, ice creams. Um, I think his ice cream is called like what's good in the hood, which is like absolutely the most perfect name ever for a delicious ice cream. From Oh, the I was thinking UB40. No, UB40 is like the reggae. The red, red wine people. Terrible. I'm make a red wine joke. No, man. Sorry. Snoop has red wine, has a, like wines that are sold in like Whole Foods and uh, Trader Joe's. But I don't know if rappers are really doing beer outside of a couple of 40 ounce people. So this was meant to be like a spoof on Death Row Records. Obviously, again, let's check it out. I didn't see the ABV on this at all. And again, I think they're so worried. It's crushable. It's probably about 5.5. Yeah, they're so worried about, um, here it is, 6.3 ABV, one Mm -hmm. pint. Uh, And again, I think they're just worried about, because they use the weed and the artwork similar to Death Row, I think they were worried that people might think it was a weed beer, but it is not a hemp or weed beer. I apologize if I'm... uh, staring at all points in the room i did not close the door and now the cats are in here and one of them is in the forbidden lands aka the top of the vinyl shelves son of a bitch this is pretty damn good i've been holding on to this for like a month or so before drinking it but this is dang good man i'm glad i had this i like this i've had uh, i've had many an upslope lager they it's something i can get on a, a real at a bargain basement price you and have mentioned delicious. them before on the show. I don't think you've had one on the show. One of my many abilities to find things on the cheap. Yo, sometimes you've got to find things on the cheap. Correct. You know, I've got no, but I've got no vinyl check. What do you got this week? I do have a vinyl. Um, this is a fun one. This was gifted to me. And this is a record from my childhood coming back into my possession as an adult given to me by my special lady friend this is the soundtrack to the ramones rock and roll high school nice nice. you can't see it anymore from this newish angle but on this side of the room when you see some of my other stuff that ghost cult does i have a huge ramones flag over my bed i love the ramones i'm from new york city and i don't really as much as they are obviously punk icons I really grew up with the Ramones as almost a classic rock band on the level of Black Sabbath or Zeppelin. Obviously not as heavy, but just as meaningful. And uh, in terms of New York City bands outside of Beastie Boys and Anthrax, I can't think of a more important other band that's not like a New York hardcore punk band. But yeah, this album is great. You got your classic Ramones songs. There's a couple of covers uh, Rock and Roll High School, of course, Blitzkrieg Bop. There's like a medley they play during the movie. Let's Creed Bop, Lobotomy, California Sun, Pinhead, She's the One. There's a Nick Lowe song on here. If you don't know Nick Lowe, get acquainted. Jesus is a cool, great album. Uh, Brian Eno. Um, Devo is on here. Uh, Eddie and the Hot Rods, Teenage Depression. Smoking in the Boys Room, the original by Brownsville Station, not the terrible cover. Chuck it's Berry not Sp- terrible. It's part of my childhood. I'm sorry, it's terrible. Chuck Berry, School Days. The Dream Goes On Forever, Todd Rundgren, not a fan, sorry. And, of course, School's Out, Alice Cooper. This is one of the best movie soundtracks ever, in my opinion, for rock or punk or whatever. I would uh, argue that it's not quite up there with Saturday Night Fever, but that is a pretty damn good soundtrack. You again with that bullshit. Bringing that bullshit in here, this podcast is not allowed. Um, Oh, it's a callback, and I'm calling it back every week. Stop it. No. I I will hate it. Um, I'm trying to remember what year this came out. 
I think it's 79. Ed Stasium is the uh, technical supervisor and producer of the record. So anything was recorded, he did. And obviously he might've also been the person who called the music, like, you know, organized the music for the soundtrack, you know, made the, you know, this is what we should get. So he's, and he went on to produce a lot of big deal, big deal people in the eighties and nineties as well. So this is yeah, rock and roll high school. Very cool part of my collection now. Nice, 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 nice. Uh, since I am wearing a Metallica t-shirt, I'd like to do the Metallica minute now. There was, this is actually a really cool thing. James, uh, as we record this over the weekend, had a very open and vulnerable moment on stage being worried about not being as good of a player as he once was. And it's really cool that he is now in a place in his life where he can share that kind of thing with people. And I, now granted, I have not heard James play live since SNM 2, but uh, look, if that's playing bad, I don't listen to me. Uh, you are still crushing it, sir. I, I have seen Metallica four times in the last year, and it will be five in another week and a half from this recording. So by the time people will hear this, and we will probably do a chaser where I talk about it, I've seen him play, and he's been one of the best parts of the band. He's literally carrying them at this point in his performance. Um, I didn't hear anything. I went back and listened to some of the... YouTube videos from that show. I didn't hear him sound or play poorly. I think they're playing a little loose with the tracks and, you know, like they're, they're not so worried about being perfect. Lars never has. Okay, fine. But actually Lars has been one of the most consistent best members of the band live, even going back to 2017 when I saw them on the Hardwired tour with Avenged Sevenfold. And yeah, Lars has actually been terrific. I think part of that has to do with the set list choices. And part of that is they're not playing that much. So he gives his two hours plus a night, but he's really not, they're not doing five days a week anymore. He, and yeah, they do playing, basically weekend shows. And they're now. not playing that challenging a set list for him. It's a lot of mid-tempo stuff, like the newer stuff. And um, yeah, when I saw them on Hardware, they played a goodly half of the Black Album they well, they were doing the remains. twenty. They were doing the twenty fifth anniversary of the Black Album back then. Not when I, not when I saw them, but because I, okay. they, they hadn't started that yet. But they were celebrating quite a bit of it. And there's nothing yeah. really fast on that record besides, I mean, through the never gets close to fast, but it wasn't. It no, fast. there's yeah, that's uh, holy, yeah, uh, holy holier than thou. Holier than thou, but even that is it's not fast. Um. But James, man, James is a borderline, cried a little bit. It was a borderline breakdown for him. And we have talked about this. I had said after our massive Metallica series, um, maybe as an idea, I meant to uh, go back and recap all the series with one post on ghostcultmag.com. I probably should do that um, to help people find all the episodes in case they want to binge the episodes. I would appreciate that. You would appreciate that. Oh, my God. Especially if you rated and reviewed them. Please like and subscribe. I see a kitty. Um, that is Gigi. There's a black uh, cat is on the records. Yes, I ain't superstitious when a black cat crosses my path. Anyway, um, my meow, my meow. I um, God, that's something that I need to get. James, yeah, James. I had said like a couple of months ago on this very show. I feel like we could get ten more years out of Metallica, including a record or two. I wonder if there's a silent toll we're not seeing, especially in the wake of the suicide of Trevor Sternod of Black Dahlia murder in the five-year anniversary of Chris Cornell's passing, which is today as we record this. 
on May 18th, or technically sometime May 17th, May 18th, he passed. Um, you know, and this is Mental Health Awareness Month, so it is not okay to, you know, it is okay to not be okay, but it's also, you know, it's a, it's a, still a stigma. On one hand, you know, let's go crazy and rock and roll is crazy and rock and roll is full of crazies and Ozzy's a madman and crazy. And on the other hand, there's a very dark side to all of this. James Hadfield has tap danced on the razor blade of depression, anxiety, drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other problems for decades. Well, and, you know, one of the things I like to point out when it, when we, when this kind of topic comes up is when I was younger, when I was growing up, the only thing in this world I wanted was a job where I traveled frequently. And my wife did have that for two years. She traveled every other week. She kept telling me when I would tell her this, Nick, that sucks. Nick, that sucks. Trust me, you don't want this. Well, I ended up getting a job where I would go on trips. I would go on about six or seven trips a year for work. Nothing significant, nothing long, never even back-to-back weeks. And I was absolutely miserable on every one of those trips. Now, imagine walking out your door, kissing your wife and kids goodbye, and say, I will see you in six months. And then come back, see them for a weekend, and then get back on the road. That was Metallica's life for 30 years. Yeah. And let's, and let's all, they're playing basically, what did you say? Less 50 or less shows a year now? Yeah. James Hatfield said he was the first one to say it back in like 2012 or so. He's like, look, guys, I can't, I can't go. It's like, I can't go like we used to. It's, it's 50 shows. And they don't have to. They, they made it, they made their money. Uh, I get, I get that there's probably business people telling them, you're leaving all this money on the table. You should do more stuff. But I think like this, it's sacrificing their lives. These mm-hmm. guys are all pushing 60. They've had 40 years as a band. They have had 30 years as the biggest band on the planet, bar none. There, yeah, are, there mean, are no bands equivalent to this band except Guns N' Roses and Foo Fighters right now. And maybe pop stars. That's it. There's no one else in our genre doing heavy rock or metal of any I, kind. I don't know that I would even say Guns N' Roses is remotely near this, but that's but that's an they debate. Kind for of are day. because they have maybe even Guns N' Roses is actually trying to do this at the level they used to because they will play when they tour, they will do multiple shows a week, whereas Metallica will yeah. do a few shows a week with a gap in between. And you know, Lars, not for nothing, I, I was desperately trying to go to see Arch Enemy and Behemoth. I think I mentioned this on our last episode. I did not get to go. Lars got off the plane from South America, got with his wife, and they went to go see that show in Berkeley, Arch Enemy and uh, Behemoth and Nihon Death and others. And there's all kinds of photos of them hanging out backstage. Not like I missed an opportunity to hang out with Lars Ulrich and Nergal and Rob Flynn and any other Bay Area metal people who were there. I wasn't, and I wasn't going to be. I would have just been in the audience, bought a shirt and left. But... um, you know, it is, I, I, you know, I'm sure James went home and he's a, and he's a dad. And even though he has some grown kids, he still has some teens and younger children. And, you know, I, I worry about him. This is, this is, you know, I am. Keep in mind the the way he grew up as well. There is going to be a lot of latent PTSD there. And Mm -hmm. I mean, not trying to be armchair psychologist, but, you know, just remember that these are human beings 
that's is, the de- best this way podcast is definitely going to prevent me from interviewing metallica okay. anyway let's move no, forward is, now i'm going to give you it isn't but i i'll just let me if you can't let me just summarize on a positive note considering everything it is a very refreshing and good thing that he was able to talk about this on stage in front of i don't know how many thousands of people in the good folks of brazil his band came out and hugged him there's a youtube video the ghost hole has where i analyzed it for a second again not trying to be an armchair quarterback of any kind i am no professional medical professional it is refreshing that such a tough macho dude in his life was able to at 58 whatever years old come out on stage and be like i'm concerned that i'm not good anymore and i'm really sorry and i'm having a moment up here it's very it's a little deep i'm sure some metal fans are like i'm not here for that as i drink my beer and do this podcast but uh you know i'm i'm grateful i would like 10 more years of metallica to see them get to 50 it's not a given they might have to walk away and i'd be okay i'd rather have that guy be alive and walk away than be another story like we had to write about chris cornell today i think i i still think we get one more record and one more tour Hmm. and then i think do do they do a farewell tour no they just tour and they say we're done that's it yeah, they, they they do a tour and everybody kind of and then there's a, it's going to be like Russia's farewell tour where they didn't say it but everybody knew it. I don't know. I don't even. I think I, yeah. I think Rush though played like two hundred shows back then. I don't know. That's still that's Rush. But now I'm going to give you the Vinnie Vincent Creatures Fest minute <laughs> because I love this shit show of a thing. Um, the latest news. I got to give you some older news. So, uh, the Rockologist is a minor record label that gets old-timey records and re-releases them, uh, primarily Kiss-related things. The first album was the Eric Carr solo record, which was basically a pile of unfinished demos. And I mean unfinished demos. I bought it on CD, of course. And because Eric sang most of it, but but it was so unfinished, he only played drums on like two tracks. The rest of it were synthesizers. But he was credited as programming. Anyway, so they did that. They've done Peter Chris albums. They've done Peter Chris's t- uh, stuff like that. So their latest release is Peter Chris's two solo records post-Kiss, directly post-Kiss. Uh, Out of Control and Let Me Rock You, two of possibly the worst albums ever committed to, to, the, to, the, to the wax circle here, in my humble opinion. Just truly awful. Well, he went there completely legitimate. Everything is fine. He went to universal got the licensing and did it after getting all securing all the licensing and getting all that he then went to the peter chris camp to see if they wanted to make some money signing them and peter chris said no i'm good and then at which point uh the the ceo or owner however you want to look at it of the rockologist record label starts bad mouthing peter and then talking about uh, how much he paid ace fraley per autograph or uh, one of Ace Fraley's releases that they had done. I mean, really talking out of school here. Okay. Then uh, the rockologist discovers that their table and booth has been refunded at Creatures Fest and they're not welcome. Which point he then goes on a large KISS podcast featuring three people and three sides of things. And that's all I'm going to say. Complaining again about Peter Chris. Now Peter Chris is out to get him and this and that. Well, this week, the Creatures Fest directors put out a statement saying they did not exclude 
the rockologist based on anything any artist said. They read the room and made their own choice. Also, I'm going to point out that the promoter from Creatures Fest is the guy we have all seen in the Gene Simmons videos in the producer experience and the at-home experience for the Gene Simmons vault. This is a guy with crazy amounts of money who just loves Kiss. So that's why it's amateur hour, because it literally is an amateur. So that is the Creatures Fest Minute. We are now, as I say this, we are 13 days away from it happening, theoretically. That means we're going to get at least two more podcast mentions of this thing, maybe three. Um, Probably four. Did you see the uh, image this week of Gene rehearsing for the bathrobe in his bathrobe? And I was yes. like, I want to take a bath all night and, and wear my same, robe all and the same day. sound check. If you've watched the video, Paul <clears throat> Stanley jokes about lip syncing. They know what's up. Like, you know. Let's let's not pretend. I, I I love Paul. I love Gene. If I never see them again, I'm I good. Will never see them again. I, 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 I don't want to see him again for money. If I get to go for free, I'll gladly no, go. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that because I don't want to. I wouldn't want to have to be honest about how I feel about what's up on that stage. Yeah, so being fair. positive, let's move forward to the hockey blues <laughs> loss. But before we get to that, can we talk about the game seven Rangers, Rangers win? Yeah, I was going to say before we get to that, congratulations on the on the Rangers coming back from three to one, which is a feat that's happening more and more frequently. So pretty soon it's not going to be all that cool. But uh, how do you think uh, that is? Bad defense, not enough good goalies. I, I think the world is different, and that they it's happened enough where people don't view it as an insurmountable obstacle. Because if one guy jumped that, it, look. If the Blues in 1991 could do it, anybody can do it. But that was not a good team. Their goalie had a 3.75 goals against average. Let's call a thing what it is. Who was their goalie? Uh, Vincent Riendo. Okay. That was his last year. Does not ring a bell. It shouldn't. He was a right-handed catching goalie, which tells you all you need to know, because there's only about three to four of them in the league at any given time. That's true. And there's only two or three of them in the Hall of Fame, period. No shit. One of them is Tony Esposito. Yo, so. Tony the Tiger. Um, but, um, fun. Blues had a had a, a game where it ended up going to overtime against Colorado, and the Blues did not deserve to go to overtime. Jordan Bennington was a wall, stopping like seventy shots in four periods, and we still we lost three to two. So. Colorado threw their best game at the St. Louis Blues and it took them to overtime to do it. Mm. So, and on top of that, Colorado has also collapsed in game three in the past four seasons. So, yeah, my long series. Now, uh, do we have anything else to, to jibber jabber about? Are we going to get into this? Uh, just like, can we kind of we come up with some stories to avoid uh, talking it, about this? Okay, thing. there we go. Let's get into this. We to catch you up, have been doing the mighty Merciful Fate with the tapped out King Diamond a little bit, who this, the 1990s is what I chose. I don't really, oh, I, I know why, because that's when I got on the train, so I chose that decade for, for the King, but this is the most prolific decade of King Diamond's career, and quite possibly one of the most prolific era, one of the most prolific decades in terms of recording and touring mm-hmm. In the modern era, I do not count the 60s and 70s 
where dudes were popping out 25 minute albums, Big Brother and the Holding Company, looking at you, debut record, 19 minutes. And Jefferson Airplane, looking at you, Surrealistic Pillow, 29 minutes. And Johnny Cash putting out records anywhere from 19 to 28 minutes every other weekend where he didn't write most of it. So we are discussing all 10 records. And these are not little bitty bits. These are 45-minute minimum attempted magnum opuses. Except for the one throwaway compilation album that's garbage. It was still 50 minutes, though. Yeah, but that's not good. It wasn't all garbage. It was, it was padded. padded. It was padded. It was padded. Yes, it was padded. So we started off with The Eye, which was the last album of the original King Diamond run, in my opinion. Because after that, things get intertwined, followed by inter, um, Return of the Vampire. Then we followed that up a couple of Merciful Fate records. You, you were going to say Interview with the Vampire, which would be much better than Return of the Vampire. Uh, also came out around the same time. Same time. Louis. Uh, couple of years hey 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 uh christina ricci in that movie was amazing not mm. christina ricci uh kirsten Dunst, Kirst- kirsten or kirsten kirsten Dunst? kirsten she's more exotic i anyway. like i like uh discount jack nicholson there what's his face uh oh christian slater christian slater discount jack nicholson walmart jack nicholson there whenever okay, he gets you- killed in a movie it's a thrill for me you're lucky they didn't do Armand. That's all I'm yes, going to say. I know. So then we move on. We moved on to the next two Merciful Fate records, which were In the Shadows. Amazing time. Wasted it. <laughs> Followed up with. Are you saving that all week? That was a good one. No, no. Actually, that was off the cuff. That's great. And then we moved into uh, King Diamond Spider's Lullaby. Followed by Merciful Fate's Into the Unknown, which was a banger. The first legitimate banger all the way through of the decade. Now we are switching back because apparently King Diamond really didn't know which way was up and which way was down. So two weeks after the amazing Into the Unknown, the King drops a bomb with the great, like literally two weeks, two weeks. There's in fact no In the Graveyard tour. There is an Into the Unknown tour that starts two weeks after this. I'm already so he drops, <laughs> Sorry, he drops I'm already. The Graveyard. Pick it up, Keithy. Uh, um, you know, this is a challenging listen. Not the not so much the Graveyard album. Obviously, the Voodoo is not is next and it's not good. But the Graveyard. Hey, hey, stick with the Graveyard. It's a yeah, yeah. It's it's a pretty good record. Um it is you know, we were saying last time how the the um, tic-tac-toe of Merciful Fate and King Diamond overlapping, disappearing members is happening. Um, not on this record. Not on, Well, this is the last record to feature Darren on drums. Correct. And, which again, he made these, you know, that was, must have been a quick decision. Your records are, tra- your drums are tracked. Get out. Don't come back for the next one. Um, well, they didn't tour anyway, so he was probably... Well, I mean, I guess they had toured for Lullaby, but no, they didn't even tour for Lullaby. So they never toured. This guy never toured King Diamond. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the Graveyard is a concept record. Um, interesting story. Interesting story. Uh, the theme of these next few records is purple, which is my favorite color. Uh, is it very Also reminiscent of some Black Sabbath artwork and stuff. Um, you know, 
the the graveyard is a concept record we talked about the hot and cold concept records for kink diamond as nick is fond of saying every record is a concept record if you try hard enough this is truly a concept record from yes start to this finish. is this is a concept record and you don't even have to try you don't have to try the storytelling is excellent the music is excellent andy's fingerprints are all over this record as they should be uh andy larock and king co-wrote this entire album um and it's, i'm also gonna say that this is probably the first record in this series that does not have any cringy lyrics no cringy lyrics it's a it's a challenge for king to have no cringy lyrics because uh, when he's not trying hard you can tell see also later this show and see also um, 20 to 30 minutes from right now yes holy shit um <laughs> oh my god and uh no spoilers no spoilers his singing is really good couple there are a couple iffy uh deliveries but just a couple i think the experience i don't i don't want us to reach and you tell me if i'm reaching we talked extensively in the last episode about how the spider's lullaby no matter what nick says is only half a concept record you can interpret it as a whole concept record if you want and you're off your meds and you had too much to drink or drug it's really only half a record it's a half-baked idea uh, just a year later, a year and a half later, this fully fledged story comes out and they spent three months in the studio making this record and it totally shows and it totally shows up the last couple of records we've looked at and listened to. So when they didn't do that, they did not. Um, Can I changed, also say change labels? Is, I, I, so yeah, I think Massacre, Massacre Records. Massacre is, is more of a distributor than a label. And I still okay. think ultimately... Metal Blade owns the rights worldwide, but they might have licensed them to Massacre because I know they, they own them now at least. They own them now, but they were doing a lot of that in the 90s where Metal Blade they were offered to jump to a major. This would be worth a whole episode, and I don't want to diverge diverge too much, but I will say Metal Blade was offered to jump to a major and almost jumped to a major fully, but instead they cleverly did distro deals to let mm-hmm. the majors sell their records which made them infinitely smarter and more money and less uh you know less pliable to the major label game we'll call it without sidetracking too much but uh yeah this is a really great story and ultimately a very good and satisfying album just to set the table for starters luckily because we've been suffering and we're going to suffer some more for our art in a little bit did i say and i'm not sure if i did but did i say this is probably his most coherent storyline this is probably the most well written storyline there is a beginning there is a middle there is an end it's 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 a good story and it works out really well for the time because this is a this is the first story that really doesn't have significant amounts of the occult it has a superstitious, lobotomized weirdo uh, who believes in things. And the only real occult stuff is in the last song, Lucy Forever. Everything else is true crime. And at this time, action news was a thing. Helicopters chasing down high-speed chases. OJ. And yeah, this is a couple of years out from OJ. Just a couple of years. And I mean, it's... It's so weird to think about how OJ was now almost 30 years ago, because I remember 
that I, I just don't remember a time. Well, I guess I don't remember a time without it, but I remember when I, I do remember. I mean, I remember when news was just news and it, it was before the media had really leaned into if it bleeds, it leads. The two, yeah, the two things that ended the death of actual local news and the dawn of 24 hour news the OJ Chase itself which interrupted game six of the NBA finals I know because I was watching the Knicks ultimately lose to the Houston Rockets never to win a ring in my whole lifetime so far Knicks Jesus Christ and um the Lacey Peterson trial Lacey Lacey and Scott Peterson Lacey Peterson murdered by her husband he didn't seem to give a shit that he was under suspicion, was completely guilty, obviously guilty to everyone in the world. And that launched the careers of like every CNN talking head. I, I would also and, say and the, Menendez, the Menendez brothers Menendez trial. brothers, a little bit later, um, but yeah. No, Menendez were earlier. Were they? Well, Scott them. Peterson was in the, in the early aughts. Uh, I can tell you because his brother called into my work when I sold, when I did mail order for inmates, not long after he was convicted. So it's like, I'm Scott Peterson's brother. I'm like, yes. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I, I spoke to the night stalker's wife. What do you want? That's a super weird lead in for somebody. Uh, okay. Um, anyway, so moving forward, uh, I'm going to open up another beer. because This is getting weird. Let's just move on to the record. All right. You lead, I follow. Uh, I have much more to say about this one than the next one, I promise. The next one's not going to be fun. Uh, Starts off with the graveyard, which King Diamond loves these little 90-second ditties, little table setters. We'll call them the cold open from the Twilight Zone. Mm. So this is, where am I? Oh, I gotta gotta get out of this place. I mean, that's like the whole song. I gotta get out of this place. I wonder if he does have to wait to the next song to find out i probably because it'd be a short record if it didn't be a single a con it'd be a concept single a concept single i mean there have been so there have to have been uh, every track off the first side of spider's lullaby was concept single <laughs> brutal uh yes. next uh black hill sanitarium which is where we get to meet the main character whose name escapes me because i don't care uh, I don't think he ever actually said his name, but <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still getting over this little okay. But uh, basically, the storyline really comes to comes to the fore here. The the narrator, who is an unreliable narrator, telling the story from the first person view, setting the the, the setting here. He was arrested for abusing the mayor's daughter. Spoiler alert: turns out actually the mayor had done it, but he was not believed. So this is him coming up with an escape plan from, he, he was not sent to prison. He was sent to a mental hospital, which really, if you think about it, doesn't really make sense. That's not how that would go, regardless of, I mean, not an American jurisprudence. So this is him coming up with his escape, giant riffs, great solos, King Diamond really nailing the character on this one and really feeling, really living in the space. Yeah, well said. This track is called Black Hill Sanitarium, by the way. Did I not say that? No. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't really uh, muss with too much you said. Great riffs, uh, excellent singing, 
Um, great storytelling, really setting, you know, the table after the, for whatever reason, opening track that doesn't do anything. It's, it's the it, cold open. He has one in every concept. It's a scary intro. Just make it part of the song guy. And uh, like you said last week, and uh, yeah, this is a real, let's consider this the opening track for real. And this yeah. is a really great opening track. It, it should, I don't know that we have really talked up Andy LaRock quite enough. And is, even though I am more of a Merciful Fate fan than a King Diamond fan, the, the Sherman Denner, uh, holy, unholy, unholy uh, union <laughs> is a great riffing union. That's double pun right there, unholy union. Six uh, degrees of Q liquoration. I'm sorry, I really didn't think this through before. I, it's unscripted. It's, on, it's off the cuff. It's off the cuff. So, but Andy This, Lewis, this podcast could have been a social media post. It could have been, if, but it's not. Listen, watch, like, subscribe. Thank you. Andy LaRock is such an effortless riff, riffer. I mean, think of Family Ghost. Think of Blood to Walk. Think, I mean, just these, um, I, I'm, there's, oh, there's a song in my head. I, I think it's Off Spider's Lullaby. But I mean, he can just come out with these classic, iconic riffs. And I don't use that word very often. The, the he creates the metal riffery, just like, just like with Merciful Fate. Again, it's not a strange tone; it is just a standard tone, not following trends, not following the the waters of popularity. Just playing the riffs that he knows, and mm. that's why he sounds timeless. Personally, well so, done. Have not we have not uh, pumped his tires enough? We probably haven't. Um, also, though, Merciful Fate has probably dominated the quality of this series so far. Well, I mean, I was really good. Yeah, that's true. But um, yeah, I know. I'm, okay, moving on. Yep. Uh, waiting, waiting, waiting. Uh, oh, that is. I don't remember that one. You know what I'll say about this album? Also, is there's a lot of. You could probably say this about every King Diamond record, but it's very pronounced here. There's a real classic heavy metal sound on this yes. album, heavy metal style. So no, not I would say it's most pronounced on this record. Yes, There's nothing. So not just the songwriting, but the style. Like, let's make a Black Sabbath riff. Let's make Iron Maiden twin leads. Let's make, I'm not saying they said these things, but they could have the way it came out. And Waiting is one of those, got a massive riff dude massive riff it's actually the riff carries the whole track more than anything else which is unusual in a king diamond song when he is so dominating yes i, I can completely understand that if memory serves this one is oh god i don't even remember what it was in the story this is really frustrating i have completely blanked on this track uh... well i'm much more up like is it the graveyard much more refreshed me and i was like oh yes i like this record quite a bit and then I was, you know, again, you'll find out soon enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. I can't hold that. Then we move on to Heads on the Wall. This is where we get the, the idea of something occult, the only occultishness in this whole thing. The idea is if you kill someone, if you die in a graveyard, you live there forever. And King Diamond decides to kill three people in the in the graveyard that night, including the grave digger, including a prostitute. She's just working hard. She's just a working girl, dude. Just leave her alone. And then some other dude. He then takes their heads and puts them on the wall and calls them dolls. Okay. I don't know that we needed to go that extra step, but 
Yeah, Heads on the Wall is a, it's a lengthier track. It's a little more, I don't want to say progressive, but it's a little more developed. A lot of motifs and parts to this song. Again, things that aid the storytelling. I wonder when King gets involved in the process in a song and says, I need like a two minute segment here that just stops the riffs and I just do a King Diamond thing. I wonder if he ever oh, has yeah. that conversation. Have to Andy. see, have to see. Yeah, he he goes nuts on this one. We get a lot of the into the unknown version of his falsetto, the the title track, mm. where it's not the shrill, the it's the more I don't want to say blunted, but yeah, that's fair. Um, it's not quite the upper upper at register. It's in yeah, the he he's, he's in fourth, not fifth gear. Mm. Good enough. It was good for this. Very good. No, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's different because when you, I wish he might have used that a little bit more next record or at all. Um, next, we have Whispers, which is another little interlude track, which just moves the story along. You've got to get his daughter, 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 where King Di- the voices in King Diamond's head, or perhaps the voices of the heads on King Diamond's wall are explaining to him that he now must go kidnap a child. Okay, we are dealing with some dark craziness here. Mm-hmm. Uh, as King Diamond put it in the liner notes, if you, obviously this is a work of fiction, and if you think that you should do this, you are simply too stupid to be alive. <laughs> that is in well the done, notes. I, I, I'm well, like, dude, I don't know that you were necessarily a... Uh, you know, espousing, but you know what else? Mm-hmm. Uh, then we move on to I'm Not a Stranger. Now, this is a great song. It is very much in the vein of the aforementioned The Family Ghost when it comes to the riffs that I, 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 I can't sing, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But this is the song where he goes up and meets with Lucy and then talks her into being kidnapped. Very nice. Very genteel uh, child kidnapping. Mm, terrible. So, I um, no, 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 not the song, the story. Uh, the, I, know, I know the the actuality. Uh, I'm not a stranger. In the next track, to me, are the two actually my favorite tracks on here, beside the first proper track. And uh, yeah, I'm not a stranger. It's like right le- the correct length. You know, like he's already done the expositional storytelling. And so now I want you to get into the meat and bones of the story, no pun intended, and please don't keep expanding um, too meat much. Meat and bones, not, not, oh, wow, okay. But, I'm uh, sorry, yeah. I'm stuck on that, that particular mm-hmm. metaphor. Yeah, yeah, of course, you, as you would be with this topic. And, you know, Nick is fond of saying that, you know, a lot of records have a soft white underbelly that's not good. Um, soft white underbelly was originally the original name of Blue Oyster Cult, by the way. Um, and, but yeah, like I, I'm not a stranger is really good. And you kind of wish that more of the songs in his whole catalog were like this to the point. This, tight, this album doesn't riff. have the soft underbelly of bad songs. Really doesn't. This is a very strong album all the way through, but I like these middle, I whispers is not really a full track, right? No, that um, could have been part of that could have been part of this track. And it should have been not a separate track. Um, it and just also, makes shuffle stupid. Yeah. And also just like, I like. I like to uh, paraphrase the Irishman from Martin Scorsese. Not this whispers, the other whispers, you know, that one. So, um, but yeah, man, I wish more songs were like this one across all the King's work. 
Moving on to digging graves. Now we're getting into the weirdness because we have gone into the full on plot. Mm. No pun intended. As King Diamond is digging <laughs> three, digging up three grave plots. Yeah. He got that grave plot. He got that grave plot right off the highway. <sighs> Little Lonely Island. You like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched the uh, the Mark McGuire Jose. Yes, the Bash it's, Brothers. Oh my God, that is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's anyway. pretty, it's I ha- I have to say, and I apparently Conseco particularly hated it. I have to say that the like Andy Samberg as Jose Canseco is one of the greatest things in self casting in history. End of. They call me Jose, and I'm Mark, and I'm Mark. Sorry, and what I, I watched a lot of things while I was sick that uh, probably apparently. are a lot better than it, in, sick me than real. Anyway, so this song is about um, King Diamond putting his plan into motion. Where which involves burying Lucy alive, but mercifully, in order not to kill her. Okay, okay. Mm. Uh, yeah, none really. Uh, again, I like I like I like yeah. When you when you hear them out loud, it's uh, it's It's sure like saying something. Again, I do like these middle tracks quite a bunch. This is a little longer than I would like, but still the overall. There's a little padding on this one, but overall, this is a very good song. Well, I don't know that every King Diamond song in the history of his art requires four to five guitar solos. No. And I love these guitar solos, but they're not always, you don't always have to just keep going. It doesn't have to be, you know, the standard, you know, song construction is intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo, bridge chorus verse outro it doesn't have to be verse solo chorus verse solo chorus verse solo 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 chorus solo chorus solo which is what a lot of king diamond songs end up being uh room 19 looking at you in your you know your nine minutes it's still the widest room though that's what i hear Mm. oh come on go tab go and then we move on to sleep tight little baby now this is a wonderful humanizing tender ballad where the uh i'm not sure if we're pro or antagonist again another don't know uh, of the story the protagonist the protagonist uh lovely tender song about how he's very sorry and but he's got to put her in a coffin and then bury her but don't cry that's in the song. Don't cry. Don't cry. Okay. Um, yeah, this is the this is the album. It's still good from here on out, but starts to get a little wavery with the storytelling. Uh, well, see, it's the, very the, on the nose, and I yes. like I oh, yeah. I'm I'm not against these songs. Are good, mostly good. The rest of the album, the rest of the way is mostly strong. But I would say if I was one criticism I have of any is. Don't always be so on the nose direct. He has never been this on the nose before. He's usually more subtle. And yeah. he's storytelling no by chill song, at all on this one. None, none. He's like, I have an idea. And, you know, as the robot devil put it, we said it last week, I'm going to say it this week, I'll probably say it mm-hmm. next week. 
you can't have your your characters sing what their feelings are. That makes me angry. <laughs> you have to be subtle. There's no subtlety, no chill, no nothing. Mm-hmm. And and the opposite of the, the 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 following album, the songs are longer at the end when they should have been longer at the beginning. Yeah, that's it's, also a good point. Um, whereas in the other in the other song, he did it backwards. They're longer at the beginning I and wonder shorter if that at the was end. On purpose, it is definitely not related, but it could everything be everything they could just be a coincidence. All right. Look, uh, we're gonna so, kick that we're gonna kick that record of the junk. Let's just wait till we get there to do it. Yes, we are. Um <laughs> Daddy, I believe, is next. Oh, which one is that? Well, uh, so there's kind of a suite toward the end of the album to me. Uh-huh. Uh Sleep Tight Little Baby, Daddy, Trick or Tree Up from the Grave. I feel like these are all meant, you know, clearly it's yeah, a concept it's record. Yeah, it's kind of one song, really. Yeah, it's a concept record, but these could just as well be one track, one long Yeah, track. I mean, they could have just thrown 2112 on the back of this. and <laughs> one 20-minute song, and nobody would have said a word. Um, yeah, Daddy, mm, you know, it's all right. I don't know. Then there's Trick or Treat, where we got into the... Oh, we skipped Meet Me at Midnight. Oh, did we? Sorry. Sorry, Meet Me at Midnight, that's the song where he goes and screams at his rival to come to the graveyard at midnight. Sorry, we missed that. Very important information. Moving back on to Midnight. Uh, Trick or Treat, which is where he details the plan to Mackenzie. I have to say, King Diamond has a wonderful talent to pick just the absolute stupidest names for his characters. Chances are, if you've been a metal fan this last couple of decades, on Halloween, someone has posted the Trick or Treat just because it is served up to you by Spotify and other streaming algorithms that Nick, Nick does not, Nick Knack here doesn't use. But like, I guarantee you, one of your friends has used YouTube and they've been like Halloween metal songs, Trick or Treat. Why wouldn't you just do Halloween? You could do Halloween. Because I mean, every day for of me is Halloween. Every day is Halloween ministry. And uh, King Diamond. Anyway. Bell, bell, book, and candle. What? Look it up. Um, I'm, I'm not. So, up, oh, do we, trick or treat details yeah. the plan. More riffery, more solos. It's yeah. tense. It's evil. Again, the mayor's name is Mackenzie. He doesn't have a first name. It's just Mackenzie. I always maybe thought, his name is Mac Kenzie. I, I don't know. I always thought like Mayor Mackenzie was like Father Mackenzie from Eleanor Rigby. I feel a, like Mayor Mackenzie is like Mayor McCheese. <laughs> well, I mean, it is King Diamond. It's definitely Mayor McCheese. But, yes, uh, okay, so Mayor McCheese is fighting the Grimace. That, that's what I'm. Yo, the Grimace is evil. Remember and the original Grimace what, is an evil. What color is what color is the Grimace? Purple. What color Purple is the record? Purple. All right. So Mary McGee's was fighting the Grimace. He was King Diamond was probably high watching, you know, old commercials from McDonald's. It, it could happen. So uh now he explains that there are three, was it no seven graves? He's dug up seven graves in a day, which you know, I gotta tell you, we we're watching Lord of the Rings last week. It's a lot of work this week. And, you know, watching, you know, Aragorn, or as my kid calls him, the dude that dies all the time, or uh, <laughs> she later started calling him Atari 2600. <laughs> I might have had a bit of an influence on this. Stop. Time. 
That is too funny. So anyway, I'm like, you know how much cardio you have to do to be in one of these battles? These dudes are fighting for like four days. Yeah. I, I mean, like cardio. Aragon, you're talking about his ancestors dying over and over, you know. No, no she, he, he liked oh, that. Oh, like his many, many false deaths in the thing. Yeah. Many, you know, sort of King uh, Jon Snow was based on him probably. I, I also Sean Bean, who dies in every freaking movie. Like he can't. Basically, remember. he is Kenny. He is the Kenny of every movie. He is Kenny, except that they acknowledge that he didn't die. That's the only mm. difference. They just acknowledge it. So imagine the cardio and the strength it would take to dig seven graves in a day. You'd be tired. Dude, there's no such thing as a grave digger anymore. It's called a backhoe. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, shroomp. It's a, it's a five-minute process. Um, so he's going to fight Mayor McCheese. <laughs> On the same day, he dug seven graves. Yeah, not going to be much of a fight, let me tell you. But the Grimace is smart enough to make Mary McCheese dig up three. So that's the thing. you got to dig up three and you got to fight it, but you only have an hour. I don't know that King Diamond did a whole lot of research about digging a grave. Because there is no way you could dig three graves in an hour. It's like I mean, the uh, film, you know, there's no way to shoot a bolt action shotgun three times in 10 seconds. It, it's I mean, I impossible. Even, if you had Arnold Schwarzenegger on his roidiest roid day with a, with an assist from Jose Canseco during the 40-40 season, you still couldn't get that done. That's just a lot. It's a lot of dirt. It is it's a like, lot of dirt. It's like um, three by eight, six feet down. Three, yeah. eight, six. I mean, that's yeah. like 156 cubic feet of dirt. You are better at math than I am. I don't know if that's the right number. Though. I don't even know if you how you're doing that with all the beer you've had. Uh, let me see. Actually, let me get the real number. 96, 48, 144, 144, 144 cubic feet. It burns my brain, the math. Um, well, everything burns when it's King Diamond. So... Uh, in the story, he digs up the first grave. No, digs up the second grave. No, digs up the third grave. Whoop, 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 whoop. The, the goal light goes. He found the kid and everything's fine. And then somehow King Diamond's head comes off. Wouldn't be King Diamond without the head coming off somebody. Uh, and then Lucy <laughs> takes the head and puts it in, puts King Diamond's head in her bag. Yeah, because, you know, why not? And then he gets to live with Lucy forever because the occult thing turns out to be true. Lucy forever. And he's happy. Yeah, At the end, he's singing, I get to be with Lucy forever. It's a long-ass record, 61 minutes. It is long. Uh, he did a lot of triple-sided in this time. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on this record? Because we pretty much just wrapped it up. Yeah, we. I mean, we wrapped it up. It's, Overall, I mean, it's it's like a B, right? It's a pretty good record. Uh, yeah, I'd give this, you know, There's I would give this moments, a good Seven and a half out of ten. For yeah, at least a, eight, at least a seven and a half or an eight to me. If you're doing that kind of scale, I do. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, this is ends up being one of the better records of this decade of all the records he's put out, which is many. Yes, and probably I, top gonna, five, top four. Yeah, I'm just going to point out that in four or five years, when he starts touring again, the '90s don't exist on that set list. No, not at all. So, yeah, I got another more to say on the Graveyard. Phenomenal record. Yeah, good job. I'm a little short of phenomenal. I think very good. 
Okay. Very good. Really good listen. Yeah, I mean, if you think it's phenomenal, you can... I think it's phenomenal. I think this is one of his best. Now, if you don't mind, I'm just going to move the... Do you want to take a break? No, I'm good. Let's just move the needle. (laughs) Plow through this thing, because this 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 next one's going to... So here's my contemporary story about this 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 album this comes out in 1998 oh voodoo voodoo we're on voodoo king diamond voodoo another purple record another purple record great artwork well you put the yeah i guess christian wallen probably christian wallen probably the best thing you can say about this record is the artwork it's got some really good names the loa house and lafayette and salem the voodoo dude is named salem i don't even there's a lot to unpack there but so I didn't have a whole lot of money when this came out. I was working two jobs, working 80 hours a week. Most weeks having my day off was only working nine hours on, on Sundays. Mm. As close as I got to a day off. So I asked my buddy, Donnie, who was a big Kiss fan. He always referred to me as his Kiss buddy. Mm. I convinced him to buy Voodoo for me for my birthday. He's like, I'll get your Voodoo, Nick. Fine, let's go to Vintage Final. Come on, let's go. So we went and I bought it. I did not keep it. Mm. So I was already not wanting to do this album, but I can't see. We, Keefe won't allow skipping. Oh, blame me. Sure. <laughs> what, what happened on Thin Lizzy? We skipped quite a bunch anyway. But no, no, we did not skip anything. Once we were in the block. We were in the block. That was it. We're in the kill zone. Jesus. Once we were on the field. have to rethink this strategy. It's your strategy, not mine. So because Um, of that, we'd had to do voodoo. So, voodoo. Yeah, you want to go? Yeah, I guess so. Um, On paper, this sounds like a good idea. First of all, Mm -hmm. he uh, did he go on tour after the graveyard? Because there is a gap. No, no, there's no graveyard tour. He just goes to the graveyard. Came out two weeks after Into the Unknown. He's probably tired. The Unknown tour. Probably took off the rest of the year. Yeah, there was nothing in 97. 97 okay. was so it just took some time off. Maybe he needed to take some time off. And it comes back to the the voodoo, which the voodoo. the voodoo had a tour. Yeah, the voodoo. But so like he comes back and he comes back with this concept record that on paper sounds amazing. Oh yeah. Especially in King Diamond's hands. Oh yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, this, this could have been this could have been as good as best this. record. This had the conceptually speaking, it had the potential to have a storyline as cool as Abigail. However, it did not. No. Nay, nay. You know, the the storyline is actually, I mean, if you de King Diamified it and like didn't have the Lafayettes and didn't have. Simone Bonetti in Salem. I don't know how there's a dude named Salem in New Orleans, but right. Um, he's mixing up his things, but um, you know, oh, let's yeah, let's face it. America has a very dark past with uh, persecution and persecution complex. Dark past, yeah, oh, yeah. We stopped. Oh, present. <laughs> we beat it. Yay! You know, tell pir- everybody who's not a white male that Puritanism and all these things. So you know. I, on the on the concept, he like some of the some of the let's say points he would have had to hit to make this work do come in and work. Baton Rouge, 
And oh, it wasn't New Orleans. No, I think it's Baton. But Rouge. they were on the Mississippi. On the Mississippi, which I don't think is near Baton Rouge. I could be wrong. Doctor Lacroix, which today sounds no, like it's bad Lacroix. It's Lacroix, but Lacroix is this is the bubbly drink, and that's what it's spelled say. the same way. I know it is. Salem, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's a colonial name, and it probably means it's an allusion to Salem, Massachusetts, and the witchcraft trials, which actually didn't take place in what is Salem today. It took place in Peabody or Old Salem, but okay, fine. He also referred to the house as a colonial house. Which it could not have been. It would have been a provincial house, but okay. Or a plantation house. Right. The Victorian house. Those are plantation houses. The pictures of a Victorian mansion. Right. Yes. I mean, and again, the cover is gorgeous. The river runs like it's beautifully. That is the Mississippi. The, 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 The mansion is on the the fictional mansion, the Loa house, which is L O A. Capital L. Not an abbreviation for life of agony. Capital A. It's and I I never understood that. It's like, okay, I don't I don't know what you're going for there. I, I think there's a yeah, there's a there's a reason why. Um, you know, on paper you know it, tell me. On pa- I mean on paper, the story makes sense. Oh yeah. I think there's a root called Loa that is used in witchcraft, by the way. Mm. Um then we get into the album itself. The, again, the story of the whole album is actually pretty good all the way through, for the most part. This is another 62-minute record. <sighs> There's 14 songs here. This thing should have been seven or eight. And just not well, only... I mean, again, they have another... There's a suite. There's a suite that's like 10 minutes long. Followed by two... Followed by a very Peter Jackson-esque Lord of the Rings ending. A million endings. Um, just to yeah, There's but, three endings to this. There's three endings to a concept and, record story. And Cross of Baron Samedi is definitely like a, a East Indian. Samedi is an East Indian thing for sure. So I don't know where he got this from. He's just pulling, pulling shit. Mostly it, it's held together, but it's actually all over the place. Then I'm going to say musically and lyrically and even vocally. This album does not work on many levels compared to Graveyard, which was a little great overall. If I'm being honest about Graveyard, it does not stack up to anything in the 80s. I just love love it more because it was the first one that came out new for me. Yeah, okay. That's, That's not unfair. I'll give you it that. Gives it, it gives it a bump, but is it Abigail? No, I'm not a big. I'm not the biggest fan of Abigail, but it's yeah. not Abigail. It's definitely not them. It's well, not conspiracy. It's not the eye. We have the graveyard, which is but, fun. It's but, it's a fun little romp about you know this kidnapping album, children. This album is a whole step down or more. It's not it's no not uh, one one step down. Several steps down. No, this this album. Well, if I can just cut to the chase is an abject failure from start to finish. I don't want to even do all the tracks on here. I, I don't think I can. My heart can't take it. Let's call out the few good ones and leave it be. All right. I will call out the but, few good ones. But I'll let you. I'll let You're you. You're up, Keefy. I'll let you do what you want to do. Uh, no, I, I called out my good ones. You're up. Loa House, good track. Decent vocal, La Rock and King. Life After Death, good track. Nice riffs. Voodoo, terrible. Title track. Oh, awful. Title track of this thing, this is abysmal. I love oh, the 
It is uh, garbage. Congos in there, like what he thought was going to be like tribal African drumming. And after that intro, <laughs> terrible song, terrible chorus, terrible vocals, terrible lyrics, terrible. There's Sorry. A recurring theme. Anyone the who album. likes that shit, check your shit out. Call a therapist. Yeah. Uh, a secret is not bad, but it's also not great. Uh, let me let me jump in real quick. And then you just take over because after this, it crashes yeah. downhill. There is a running theme about the voodoo drums. I don't know if voodoo drums are a thing, but in King Diamond's mind, they are. And it's a very serious thing that happens nightly. And I mean, it's you have Dr. LaCroix in Salem, the butler who comes with the house. That's not. You know, that's not a red flag. My house. Oh, here's the butler, Salem. Oh, cool. That would not be my response. <laughs> my response is, is there paperwork? A cat named Salem would be a good idea, and I will someday have a cat named Salem. Is, you know, a butler named Salem that comes with the house. Do I have to pay him? Is there a contract? Just You're just like, oh, cool. N- no. Get you out. are entitled. That Get is white out now. That is white privilege. True white privilege. This album is a whole white privilege album, actually. Oh, yeah, completely. <laughs> Basically, the white people are like, oh, there's voodoo. Let's just kill them. Yeah, that's rough. Let's just kill them, genocide rough. out the religion, call it a day. But I mean, really, the voodoo people should also not be practicing voodoo drums on someone else's property. At least, at least pay some rent for this. I mean, there's freedom for religion in this country at this time. Yeah, but, but there's there's not freedom for your religion to be practiced in my the house Jim if Crow I don't South. approve of it. You can't just uh, come into my house and put up a, a ritual and just go to town. You could. I would. That would um, be illegal. That is that is trespassing. That is not. So, the graveyard. Or I'm sorry. I wish it was the graveyard. Still, the voodoo. The voodoo is. You know, what's that song, you know, the voodoo, the hoodoo that you do so well? He did not do it well. I mean, this album is worse than time. It's This is just so bad on a lot of levels. I'd say the only late album track that I halfway enjoy is Sending of the Dead, and the vocals are awful. And when I say awful, listen, King Diamond is one of the best singers in the world. So here's where oh, we, yeah. here's where oh, we yeah. talked about the last record. Last record, King made really great use of his middle range and falsetto. This album, more than half of the songs of 14 songs are sung in this like shrill, shrill, high, high thing that don't complement the songs at all. I know he was going for this emotion and maybe he's trying to induce panic, the panic of the voodoo spell or the panic of the sufferer of the voodoo curses, but like, it uh, it's just jarringly poor, a poor execution. It's, it's like David Pumpkin says. Okay, King Diamond put out ten records in ten years. That's like a hundred. So that's imagine ten songs per record. That's a hundred floors of fright. They ain't all gonna be winners. No. Um, and this one, this one is just frighteningly. It's just bad. Why does... The only way it can get worse is if you do what I did. Which is bring up the lyrics. Oh no, don't because they're and so read poor. Read along to the lyrics as you listen. These are his weakest lyrics, maybe ever, and that's really saying something. Uh, I would say, "Leave my soul alone." It's just yeah, a still notch the worst. Above this. Still, no, it's still a notch worst. above this. Oh really. no, I was going to say it's still the worst. Um, yeah, it's just not good. 
It's just not good. I just, I don't know why he had time to work on this. It seemed like he had time to work on this. They took a long break. He should have been refreshed. They had not, they stopped making one after another, after another. So even if you throw out the leftovers album and say that they made like at this point, seven straight albums in a row and a leftovers record, they half kind of did. Well, this I mean, is the eighth. I mean, this is well, the this eighth is the record eighth, of the decade. This is the eighth, and they, and they had a break before it, and it's still not good. That's bad. And it makes me yeah. feel bad, because I love King Diamond, and I love Merciful Fate. This is no good. Well, if you um, allow me to peek into next week just a touch. Yeah, before that, answer my question. Why does Chris Estes have songwriting credits on this record? Oh, um, we didn't mention there's a new this, there's a new drummer. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> it's another drummer. Who cares? And it's the <laughs> last two albums with uh, Luke Abair. With uh, wait, Herb no, and Chris. No, Chris is the bass player. John Luke Haybear, no relation of Bobby Haybear of the New Orleans. Haybear. 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 That means a different thing in San Francisco when you say Haybear. Well, they had um, to get a French guy involved in voodoo to maybe. Herb and, and Chris leave after this, but Chris somehow has writing credits on this one. It's the first ones of his career. Oh, and would you like to know why this is terrible? Why is it? This was uh, released in February of 98. Okay. Mm. During uh, October to November of 87, he was recording the next Merciful Fate record. 97. Right. So three months before Voodoo was released, he was in the studio with Fate. Yeah, Jesus. Um, so there's no break. Yeah, there's no break, and he's kind of maybe even checked out. Uh, Dimebag Darrow plays lead guitar on the Voodoo song, which is a shame because the song is fucking garbage. Did you even notice? Not a, not a, doesn't even sound like him. I think he was no, trying to, I think he was trying to sound like Andy. He might have even played like through garbage? Andy's rig. I mean, he doesn't sound like garbage. He's Dimebag, but like, I'm, no, I'm just saying that. Well, I mean, the song is garbage. It's, not good, man. Not it's, good. It's a, it's a garbage record. There is it's just, really not a good record. I don't understand why. It should have been a great record. Yeah, could have, would have, should have. I like that uh, the hidden track is just another song played completely backwards. In like, dude, this shit is bad enough. Stop. Yeah, it, it's aftermath. The second ending. Right. These last two songs are not even really songs. They're just kind of little codas, right? And frankly, it's, frankly, it's, so is Unclean Spirits is barely a separate song. It's really I mean, you a coda have three of the songs about the exorcism. It's like watching an anime. If anybody here's watched through Roni Kenshin, right? And he gets to the main story story arc of Kenshin. Kenshin has to fight his has to fight this dude who has all these burns, and because of these burns, he can only fight for 15 minutes at a time before he has to rest. <clears throat> that fight, that 15-minute fight was three episodes. Well, an episode is not 15 minutes. It is 24. So, I mean, they're really working the clock on that one. And that's... Are, 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 yeah. Arguably, this is the worst song of this whole series. The worst album of this series. With several uh, songs that would be the worst song. Voodoo might be the worst title track of any King Diamond-related album. And that's saying something. And this whole record is not good. Let's go to the uh, Haywood Jablomi scale of uh, Quiet Riot albums and say, where does Voodoo rank in the last three Quiet Riot albums we reviewed? 
Would it be better than those or worse? It could be worse. It's not as good as condition critical. Well, no, I wasn't counting that one. I mean, the other ones, Wait, three, we, we, four, and the other one. There's no other one. Isn't there like there's, a self-titled record in there somewhere? That's four. Oh, God. Self-titled okay. is four. It's, it was so bad. So, it's, just... so is it worse because it should be better based on all the factors or it's just terrible? No, it's just bad. It's it's just bad. I mean, I knew it was bad when I heard it when it was new, mm. and right. it did not age better. Yeah, it, it did not. Mm. You know, it's not a lovely, not a lovely cheese. It is not a delicious wine. It is a steaming pile of filth, and not in a good way. Not in a good way. No, I, I rest my case, Your Honor. I have no further questions. What's frustrating is they they toured this one. And not the previous two. Including that really good one. Right. So let me just go ahead and throw out the set list. Oh, God. (laughs) 15 tracks. Uh, I will apologize for last week. I told a falsity. They did play songs off the Spider's Lullaby. Okay. One song off the Spider's Lullaby. Guess what song? I don't want to. It's the Spider's Lullaby. Oh, all right. That makes sense. Okay, so on this tour, they played Welcome Home, The Invisible Guests, The Aforementioned, The Spider's Lullaby, Sleepless Nights, classic, mm. Eye of the Witch, super classic, The Trial, The Candle, Up from the Grave, oh, that is a great pair too. The Family Ghost, Voodoo, did not need that, One Down, Two to Go, oh, God, did not need that. Sarah's Night, The Exorcist. Wow, they just had a, a little sweet there, didn't they? Uh, finishing it off with Abigail and Halloween. Those are so, those very strong ending. The encore was strong, yes. So they played four tracks off Voodoo, two off them, two off Abigail, two off Fatal Portrait, two off The Eye, one off the following Conspiracy of the Graveyard and the Spider's Lullaby. I would also point out there is not a Merciful Fate tune in this set. First time? First time, probably last time. The next tour is The Puppet Master? No, no, that is not true. I missed two records there. House of God, which I've never heard, and Mm. Abigail 2, The Revenge. Uh, We did not mention that um, Abigail was referenced in the opening track saying the child lives, this is not Abigail. Hmm. Wish it was Abigail. That would have been a better day. And so, I mean, I, I don't know how we pull this one back into anything that's not, I hate this. Hmm. Yeah, there's nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing either. You know, it's it's a shame because, again, all the elements were in place to make this an incredible album, and it just is not there. Well, um, what's, really, what's really frustrating for me is Andy is not tapped out. No, I don't but think he he's the problem, but somebody But he didn't is, turn anything in. I, yeah, I don't know why it's not well, What's the... I didn't look at the songwriting credits real closely. I did. They're mostly Andy and King with a little bit from Chris, which is questionable. And he's written the the all the worst tracks of them all, of course, oh, except for Louis. So I don't know. I just a step down. I think maybe they were burned out. Maybe even the break didn't help. Maybe it was too much of a break. Maybe 
we don't know the run up to making these two records concurrently could have drained them all and made both things will you know worse we'll have to see well i have not the, the next the next fade album is as i mentioned i believe dead again yeah which is the first uh fate record in two years at this point so after 92 both merciful fate and king diamond were going concerns yeah it could be too much an interesting concept i don't i can't think of another situation like this you had the black sabbath tours where but they weren't recording you know you had the black sabbath of the aughts where it'd be like every other tour they would you know ozzy would do a sabbath tour then go back solo go to sabbath he was releasing albums but he doesn't really write i mean i'm not being i don't think i'm talking about a school there but the idea of having two functioning non-heritage bands at once it's tough it's tough okay this is this is a painful one um graveyard by voodoo no I think that's what we're saying. Graveyard's worth a buy, right? I think it's worth a buy. I bought it. it. I mean, yeah. I, I would like to get it on vinyl. I would Voodoo, say, give that if, shit away if you have it. Yeah, if you're if you're doing a head if you're a head to head on this one, this one is uh, Graveyard by the length of the field. Mm. Uh, yeah. All right. That's all I got this week. Uh, Want to thank everybody for for tuning in, for listening, for staring at my stupid face, and Keefe's handsome beard and wonderful hats. So thankful. hopefully you have enjoyed this and we will come back next week to put the, the little the little fez cap with the, the tassels on this to just kind of put a nice little ending on the King Diamond Russell Fate 80s. And as always, it is the Glacier Musical Podcast. It does not play in Peoria. I have to shut it off once I'm recording. You have to oh, shut it off. Damn it. Oh, no, I want to do that. I want to do...